Welcome to the Game Deflators Podcast, Season 2, Episode 5. I'm joined by my co-host, John. I am generally the host, thank you very much. Welcome to the Game Deflators Podcast. On the Game Deflators Podcast, Ryan and I like to talk about our recent pickups that we have uh, for gaming. That can be board games and such as well. Uh, We discuss current games that we are playing. We discuss the gaming industry, and we also cover our inflation deflation. Uh, For anybody who hasn't listened yet, the inflation deflation is where Ryan and I pick a random game off of my shelf, or his if he has one available, and uh, we go ahead and play that for a few hours. We analyze the title, we discuss what we like about it, what we don't, and then we determine has it been inflated or has it been deflated. And what we mean by that is, should we deflate the price point? But this week on a special episode, we're also going to be going over John's top five most valuable games. It's a challenge that's been going on around the internet, and we're excited to get engaged with it. However, I will also be talking about my only game worth talking about that's worth any amount of money at all. Sounds good, man. I uh, would probably throw you under the bus here with our recent discussion on a, uh, a few more games, but I'll leave you if you're top one. So most notably, uh, one of the podcasts that stuck out to me was The Game Grinder. Uh, He recently did his top five NES games, came to Ryan and said, well, we should probably do a top five. I don't really have a whole lot of NES games, so let's just do the whole collection and see what comes out. Yeah, so we're going to be going through that. But first, we're going to be talking about uh, our recent pickups this week. And John got a killer deal. Tell us about it. Yes, so... My killer deal this week was a nice little $20 pickup. I got a Sega Nomad. As many of you may know, it's uh, essentially a handheld Genesis. Allows for somebody to pop in a controller, AV out, and then obviously the ability to just kind of take it on the go with a battery pack. So mine did not have a battery pack, but the entire console works. Even broken, it would definitely be worth the value I paid for it. Uh, in addition to that, so yes, it does not stop right there. Uh, got a Sega Genesis Model 2 out of that. That console also works. And unfortunately, while it does read games, um, my Sega CD Model 1 version uh, has a messed up disc tray. So I'm going to have to do a small little fix to that uh, to get the thing working uh, appropriately. It does read games, obviously. So... That being said, uh, that brings my total Sega CD collection now to uh, two consoles, a Model 1, a Model 2. I obviously have a Genesis, Master System, Dreamcast, and now I have the Nomad as well. So pretty stoked to see how that Sega collection is going around. Uh, Did you have any pickups this week, man? I mean, as we sit here drinking our uh, American Stills whiskey? I sure do, partner. Like most of America this week, I did the western american thing and picked up red dead redemption 2 and john i know you don't have this game and i feel sorry for you my friend this is definitely the best game that i have played in a long time and i can't get enough of it i can't get enough of talking about it with all my friends that are playing it uh, except for john and uh I, i love seeing all the stuff online about it it's just so good from the sweeping views to the uh great mechanics like the horse bonding and riding the customizable outfits the just living the day in the life of an outlaw in the wild west 
and it's really it's really consumingly good. I just all I want to do is be home playing it, but unfortunately we got a podcast to record. Say that like it's a bad thing, man. Um yeah, so I'm actually pretty interested in playing Red Dead Redemption 2, but unfortunately a lot of people are going to hate me for this. I actually haven't even played the series. It's just um I haven't really been a big fan of Grand Theft Auto, for example, and I've always heard that Red Dead is Grand Theft Auto on horses in the Midwest, and it just never really did appeal to me. But seeing everybody's reviews and hearing good word from lots of friends, I may be playing Red Dead Redemption at some point after my current game that I'm playing. Well, and that's the thing is that I've always been a fan of Grand Theft Auto. I never beat five. I really liked four and San Andreas, but... This is a whole different thing. It's really not like Grand Theft Auto anymore. Like it really feels like Rockstar has taken the next level approach on this. Like I there's a mission that I did and I could totally see what was going on in that mission happening very similarly in a Grand Theft Auto game, but the thing that they did was they took that and they pushed it, and they pushed it a little bit more, and right there, that's when Grand Theft Auto would have stopped. But Red Dead pushes it one more time, and it takes that moment from great to better. If anybody knows what I'm talking about, just go ask Lenny. So, would you say that this game has a potential to be the next Skyrim, in that... uh we're going to get five or six different reprints on things like, you know, the switch, maybe a Wii U port at some point, maybe having a, you know, red dead redemption N 64, you know, you better hope that doesn't happen because you'd be hearing a lot less from me on the podcast. As I sit here on my switch and play red dead, because I don't think that I would ever, I, I already don't want to leave my house because I could play it. If I could take it with me, I would get nothing done anywhere. Yeah, see, in my opinion, the Switch at this point in time is pretty much good for uh, ports of the Wii U and playing five-year-old indie games that were on the PC or other consoles, which I'll get to in a minute. I assume you probably want to talk a little bit more about some Red Dead. Well, you know what? I do, but you know, I'm going to hang out on that for just a sec because actually another thing that I did this week uh, or last week while I was waiting for Red Dead to come out still, I went ahead and beat South Park The Stick of Truth, which I've never played before. I picked that up for 35 bucks digital download on my Switch, and I loved every fucking minute of it. It was great. I, I've not been so into the most recent season of South Park that's come out, and it really had all the jokes and humor that I wanted. So I think the real question everybody wants to ask is, what class did you pick? I was a wizard. And um, it was pretty cool. I mean, I don't know what the difference between the classes is. I definitely think that this is a game that I could go back and replay. I mean, it only took me like 12 hours to beat the game. Like, it was really just three sit-downs on my couch playing it. And it it was great. And I didn't even get all the content. So I think I would love to go back and replay this game again in the future. I really would like to get um, the Fractured Butthole, too. That 
that definitely seems like something I want to pick up. Sounds kind of weird, man. You want a fractured butthole? Um, so actually, Stick of Truth is, a, from my understanding, one of the most hilarious games that my friends in the past have played. So what did you think about uh, Al Gore and his boss battle? Never got there. There's a see, that's what I'm saying. John's giving me this look like what? Well, that's what I'm saying is like there's way more content in this game. I just kind of cruise through it doing my thing. And I know that there's like some different choices you can make to kind of branch the story out. Like it is by no means a huge game, like, but there's definitely enough in there for me to get, you know, probably one or two more playthroughs and still have a pretty good time getting through it without it getting stale. I mean, I love South Park reruns. Yeah, see, I don't know how I feel about you anymore, man. Like, I don't know if you can be on this podcast. You uh, you played through Stick of Truth, didn't play as a Jew, and you didn't even get to the Al Gore boss battle. Come on. Have you played Stick of Truth? I played a little bit, and I did... Pick the Jew class at least. Did you get to the Al Gore butt? I haven't beat it yet. I, I it's one of those games right now for me that is on the. You know how I have so many games at this point that I pop one in, I play a couple hours, and I go, yeah, let me go and play something else. And I will have you know that when I played Stick of Truth at that point in time, The Last of Us had just come out when I started playing it. So of course, for me. I was going to go ahead and play Last of Us over Stick of Truth. So I think there's many listeners that would actually agree with me that that was the right decision to make. I bought The Last of Us and I never beat it. I never got that far. And I mean, I am not a... Okay, I am... I love gaming, but I am not the most prolific gamer ever. And that's why it took me so long to get through The Messenger because that's the first game that I've actually gone through and completed in a long time. And I wanted to follow that up with something. I was kind of looking at a couple of games. I was actually thinking about getting the Disgaea remake. And then I looked at how long that game is. And I was like, ah, I don't want to get into all that. So that's why I picked up Stick of Truth so that I could finish another game right in a row. So that'll be complete the messenger, finish Stick of Truth, blow all the way through Red Dead. Okay, I, I like your enthusiasm there. I'm still very disappointed that you haven't played Last of Us all the way through. So that does kind of want to make me cry, you know? It's it's very disheartening. Um, well, seeing as you just beat Stick of Truth, kind of, um, I'm going to go into uh, what I played. So obviously, I just picked up Owlboy, I want to say right after our last podcast recording, wasn't it? That uh, just, right before. Yeah, so I picked it up just right before the podcast recording, started playing it, definitely enjoyed it at that point in time. Not going to go super deep into detail as far as what it is, but uh, pirates take over a village, destroy it. Um, you have a mission to try and uh, collect some relics and essentially save the world. So that's the key thing here. Uh, but Owlboy. So as I said in the last podcast episode, I got the collector's edition of it. 70 bucks on the Switch. Uh, came with some medals, um, some co- not medals. It came with pins and coins. They are metal, though. Uh, it came with one of those crappy notebooks that'll sit on my shelf forever, currently in the actual Owlboy box. A manual that does not fit into the actual case. A certificate of authenticity and a couple other little things. I think a sticker pad as well. So overall, I paid 70 bucks for this game. I want to say content-wise, it took me about 8 to 10 hours to beat. I really just blasted through this game. 
but I can assure you that this game is fantastic. If you can pick it up for 15, 20 bucks locally, you definitely can on a third party market through like an offer up or an eBay. Um, I would pick it up. It's pretty good. Um, I played it on the switch, obviously definitely enjoyed the ability to, um, you know, I normally don't agree with Ryan on a lot of things like this, but, uh, when my fiance was over here playing Assassin's Creed on the PS4, I was able to take it off the docking station, put it at full blast volume enough to annoy her, lay it on our, lay it on our coffee table and just kind of have at it on a little tiny screen. So that was pretty fun. But like I said, man, definitely enjoyed it. I would say 10 out of 10, in my opinion, on that game. It was truly a beautiful game. And the music was by far some of the best music I've heard in a game since honestly, probably Chrono Trigger for me, as far as like memorable compositions are concerned. So anything else that you want to talk about as far as Stick of Truth before we move on to our uh, next topic, which would be our top five, well, my top five highest priced video games in the collection? Um, I mean, Stick of Truth was great, but I really just want to get into more Red Dead. That's that's really all I'm thinking about anymore is Red Dead, Red Dead, Red Dead. And I know that uh, I got a good group of buds and we're looking to form up a gang for online when that comes out. So I think that that's like a month away or at least a few weeks away. So I'll keep going through the story of Red Dead and doing all the side missions and all the just living life as a Western outlaw. And then once online comes out and I get into that, I'll uh, I'll bring it back up and talk more about that. We'll see what's going on. I know we got a couple other things coming up just to keep it more interesting because I could sit in here and week after week talk about Red Dead, but I'm pretty sure nobody wants to hear that. So uh, I know that up soon, uh, the 16th, We've got Let's Go Pikachu, Let's Go Eevee coming out. So we're definitely going to still be doing the challenge against each other on that. You know, just like a fun, not like a Nuzlocke or anything. I don't have the patience or time for a Nuzlocke. But, um, you know, one of us, you know, each of us will pick up one version of the game and we'll play through it. John is an avid Pokemon Go player still. So he'll be giving you that side of it. And I'll be giving you the side of you know, hey, this is an awesome remake of something that I loved as a child, and we'll see where it goes. I wouldn't go so far as an avid Pokemon Go player. Um, I did take pretty extensive break, actually, as of late, mainly because I had a lot of trips and stuff I had to go out for uh, my company on. But Didn't you go to the mall last weekend to play Pokemon Go? No, I actually did not. Um, I hope that actually came through the speaker correctly just now, because you weren't talking into that mic. For all of you that are going to criticize us. Um, so before we get into our top five, I know it's actually via, or my top five, I'm sorry, Ryan. Your top one, my top five. Uh, let's go ahead and discuss that inflation deflation that we just went ahead and did. And I will note that last week when we talked about that game, it was sitting at $5. It's gone up 5%. So either people are listening to our podcast, which I highly doubt, or, yeah, no, it looks like it dropped. Either way, Ryan, it's gone up 5% since our last discussion. So inflation deflation time. We did a special Halloween uh, game today, being October 31st while we're recording, uh, for Porky Pig's Nightmare on the Super Nintendo. Game is currently sitting at $5.25. 
And uh, this game is really just a, a platformer. It uses some of those early 3D type effects um, for like things like a ball and chain swinging at you, um, the ability to go around like a tree and like a 3D type of um, viewpoint. It's, it's definitely interesting. And uh, it has some pretty creepy music. And of course, the fantastic Porky Pig. So I'm going to let Ryan go ahead and uh, kick off his portion of it. So I actually played this game when I was a kid and I truly enjoyed it as a child. Um, Ryan had never played it. So let's hear what he has to say. And then let's talk about me reminiscing on this title. I never played this game, but I love Looney Tunes. I am a cartoon fan and I have always loved the Looney Tunes and I had a lot of nostalgia for this. Like most of the enemies in the game, I recognize those from episodes and I remember fondly those episodes and the way that they captured the imagery of the Warner brothers cartoons in like the best way possible. Like the spirit like really lives through in this title in a good way. And some of the things I thought were, I mean, I don't remember when this game came out, obviously, because I never played it. So I don't know how deep of pulls they are. But some of the things I saw in there, I was like, man, dude, I haven't thought about that in years. And it it was really, really impressive. The sprite work was great. The music I kept commenting on, though, I thought the music was a little weird. There was like kind of like a low track running. And then there would be this like, much louder music and it just never seemed like the two of them gelled like i was talking to john because i mean it's a spooky game it's a spooky time of the year and i thought this really sounds like we're playing a game and you have like a halloween decoration that plays music way too loud in the room going off and it's distracting me it was weird music which is good for the setting of the game but I don't know. It was it was a little weird for me. The- yeah, I, I, sorry, I was cutting you off there, man. Um, yeah, so let's go ahead and discuss some of the... Uh, obviously, you found the music to be weird. You definitely enjoyed the sprite work and everything, so the actual graphics and such of a game. What were your thoughts on the overall gameplay? I mean, it's a... Uh, it was a pretty tough platformer. I mean... We played through the first few worlds without too much trouble. Some of the things were a little cheap. There was a little bit of not being able to tell what objects are not necessarily interactable, but like uh, falling platforms that looked really similar to non-falling platforms or certain objects in the world that you can walk through and identical objects in the world that are impassable barrier and a few situations where we were trying to jump off of things and then end up falling through objects that look like they should be supported or things that may supposed to be in the background or foreground but it's not clearly indicated and it looks like it should be on a plane that you can interact with. There was some of that stuff going on. Um, I mean, it was your four hits and you're dead. You get your 
five lives per continue and the continues don't negatively affect you at all like once you go to your continue screen you kick back in right where you left off basically like you don't even lose your checkpoint and have to start the level over but one thing that i thought was really cool about that was when you reloaded in there was actually different weather effects i don't know if it was supposed to be a showing of seasons but i remember we started up and there was like green grass and stuff in the first level and then once we went through the continue it was snowing and there was snow all over the ground and i was like that's crazy i've never seen like an old any uh snes title like this that has like that kind of interesting forethought that it's like you know if this is a game that you're going to have as a kid and you're really going to play through a lot just to have that same game but just a little bit different like that like i can really appreciate the effort that they put into that to make that happen yeah um I'm really actually agreeing with you on a lot of things. So as a child, I definitely enjoyed this game a lot. Um, it might've been the fact that it was a cheap blockbuster pickup for me. Yes. I'm showing a little bit of my age right there. Um, and I do have my blockbuster card too, by the way, I, I think you saw that the other day. Uh, so yeah, it was a cheap blockbuster pickup for me as a kid. And I blasted through that game. You know, I never did actually beat it, though. Now I think about it. I always got stuck in the final level. And that was, you know, before the age of uh, easy Internet access. So I don't even think I was on dial up at that point growing up. And um, yeah, it just it wasn't very easy towards the end of that game. But overall, um, and I think one of the reasons I was able to get to that final uh, point in the game uh, was primarily because of the continue process you can die a hundred times in that game. And as long as you hit a checkpoint or a certain point in the game, it seems that you really don't lose any sort of, um, you know, any sort of progress that you've already made. You don't start from the very beginning, like a typical platformer and it's kind of level based. Well, it is level based. I mean, we got to, what was it? Level three, I think, man. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was fairly easy. Once we got the first level is more of a Ryan and I just trying to get through and, get kind of used to controls and the physics of a game and such. I blasted through level two with no problem within, I think it was two lives at that point. And then uh, level three, we started playing through and just said, all right, we're good. I think, uh, I think we've got enough of this uh, to go through and uh, review it. So overall, in my opinion, uh, I definitely agree with you, man. The, the whole thing with like platforms kind of disappearing, that's cool and all. But it was kind of odd that it was like on things that looked like it was just a standard tree trunk coming out. Um, so that was kind of annoying at first. But of course, like any platform, you get used to it and you just kind of chug along afterwards. Um, the one thing that kind of bothered me is going through actual objects. So when, you know, it pissed me off when I'm trying to jump on a ledge and it throws me through two different ledges and puts me in a thing of spikes and kills me right away. That kind of frustrated me a bit. And, you know, I can see myself as a child just throwing a controller at the TV um, and obviously when we were growing up, it was tube TV. So you could throw a brick at that thing and be okay. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, uh, it was definitely frustrating at times, but you know, if, if I had to give this my rating, you know what? I would say that, uh, this game is worth it. I mean, I have, you know, not a whole lot of history with, 
this game and I don't have, you know, a whole lot of platformers that I'm really into. It's not usually my genre, but for me, pulling at my nostalgia of cartoons and my love of the Warner Brothers and, you know, Porky Pig himself, like this is definitely one, you know, if you find this game, I'm going to say for five bucks and a quarter, you know, that's uh that's a Subway sandwich, and you'll get way better value out of this than a Subway sandwich. Does this mean we can tag Subway in the uh, in the podcast and get some, uh, you know, I don't know, get some marketing out of it? Hashtag eat fresh. Hashtag not a sponsor. Hashtag could be a sponsor. I think I'm going to roll with that, actually, on the, uh, on the YouTube post when we make this. Um, so for me, man, uh, I would also say at five bucks and a quarter, I would say it's worth it. I mean... What are you going to do? You're going to go to a movie and spend 10 bucks and potentially see a really crappy movie, or you can go pick up Porky Pig right now for $5 and a quarter. Now, hopefully the game does not go up higher in price because we've done this. That That's my one worry. And no, we did not buy all of the loose copies online ahead of time, thus to inflate the market and make loads of money. You know, honestly, I don't know how many of those titles. I would imagine they probably pumped out a ton of those titles during the SNES era. So it's probably not worth squat. Um, even if we picked up a bunch. What does that actually? What, three sales per year, it says? Hey, look at that. Complete in box. 21 bucks. And then three sales per week. Loose. So there's some smart people out there. At least three per week are picking this game up and enjoying it. Um, well, speaking of price points, man. Let's go ahead and jump into our top five. Now, I'm going to go ahead and pass a gauntlet over to you. I understand you have a top one. I would throw you under the bus and call out your other games, but I'll go ahead and let you lead with your top one because it is a lower value than my top five. And uh, we can go from, I guess, bottom to top, from lowest price to highest price. And we'll kind of discuss uh, the different titles. And, we, you know, I think a good idea would be to discuss where we picked it up and kind of the story behind it. I think that'll be pretty cool. So people can get a kind of a sense of our excitement when we picked up these titles. All right. So I have not been like an avid game collector. I was always a stupid person and I traded in all my consoles at GameStop or sold them at garage sales and all my old games. And I regret all of that now that I am older and wiser, but a long time ago at a GameStop far, far away, I picked up the last PS1 with the clamshell screen on it. And so I've been hanging on to that for a long time. I hardly ever use it, but I've got it. A couple years ago, I got a little itch to get something. And I was like, you know what? I should get something on PS1 so that I can play that and bust it out and have some fun with it. And uh, I was trying to think of what to try to get. And I remembered back to my PS1 demo disc that I had. And it was a really good one. It had uh, Tomba and Tekken, Captain Blasto. But there was one game I always thought was super cool, and that's Einhander. Einhander is a side-scrolling bullet hell, uh, I guess, shmup. It's... uh, really cool it's kind of set in like a futuristic uh techno dystopia 
and you have this ship, the Einhander, which is one hand in German, I'm pretty sure. And it's, uh, your ship has this arm on it that can equip a type of gun, you know, like these games, you've got like, you know, your shotgun, your missile launcher, your machine gun. And then you also have a secondary weapon that you can have like mounted or stowed on top and you can switch between these two weapons. You can switch the placement of your arm. So like the machine gun shoots at a downward angle, but if you flip it up on top, it'll shoot straight. So you've got some decent variation. Uh, the, the models are really good. It's got a really fun, um, music to it i've never beaten the game because it's freaking hard and i it's the only one of these kind of games like i never play this genre but every so often i still break this game out and i'm pretty sure i got it for like 40 bucks or something like i would not have spent a lot of money on this and it was a couple years ago i tried looking for like a digital receipt or something to try to remember where i bought it from but i can't remember but I ordered it. It's in the jewel case, which has a crack on it. But I mean, it's got the the sleeves. It's got the manual. The disc is in great shape. It works great, and I love it. And it's like a nice little captured moment from my childhood. And come to find out, it's worth eighty five bucks complete. Like that's a pretty good deal for something that I never thought you know, would really be anything to anyone else. But, you know, looking back at that demo disc and this pickup, I'm happy about it. I'm happy for you, Ryan. You in your one game. We'll try it. We'll try and get you some more over time, man. Um, those digital copies, who I can tell you, it's, they're not going to be worth very much money. <laughs> so, uh, honestly, um, you know, the game players, we generally don't care about the price point. We're kind of doing this from a, a standpoint of other YouTubers and, podcasters and folks have been doing it so it's pretty cool to really look at your collection and i mean getting these games it's at least for me um i like the ability to just kind of walk over to my shelf grab a title and just play whatever i want um and actually you know what i just realized man i didn't talk about what i'm currently playing um so i'll i'll take 30 seconds just to mention so we know for the next podcast i'm currently playing folklore on the playstation 3 it's an rpg title um, well, kind of an RPG title. Uh, and you play as, I guess there's two characters. I haven't gotten super far. I just finished the, um, I guess a prologue or, um, the prequel, I guess, technically for one of the characters and just kind of getting a feel for the game. And chapter one has just loaded up. So that's currently where I am at the game. I'll talk a little bit more about it when I know it, but at this point, uh, the girl ends up on like this Island or something or the city where, uh, the dead hang out and her spirits and um, this other guy somehow gets there as well because he receives some random phone call from a, a lady in distress and see I mean I haven't even played it honestly long enough that I don't I don't even know the character names at this point uh, but overall I'm enjoying the game so far in the one hour that I played for 30 minutes and I'll talk about it more on the next podcast and we'll see uh, how much more I've played although just a little update uh James is going to be coming into town. He was on season one of the podcast. And so he's actually going to be hanging out with us for a week uh, here where we live. 
and don't know how much gaming I'm going to be able to do. I think he's wanting to play Secret of Mana on the PS4, so not sure how much folklore I'm going to be playing, but we're going to have him on the next podcast episode we record, so that should be pretty fun to have the three of us on there. Now, getting into what everybody wants to hear, maybe, I don't know if you want to hear it, but uh, my top five. So, you had Einhander, I have uh, Sukaden 2 is actually on the bottom of my top five in terms of value. Uh, game is pretty much an RPG strategy style game. Uh, you can recruit different characters. It's part of the Sukaden series, obviously. There's, I think, five games plus a tactics-based game uh, that came out. Uh, this one in particular is the highest price out of the series. I believe it's somewhere around 60 hours of gameplay, which is pretty awesome. Uh one of the reasons I actually haven't played is because it's 60 hours of gameplay. So I want to invest my time into it, but I did beat Sukuden one. Absolutely loved it. I've heard Sukuden two is just much better than Sukuden one. Um, so really excited at some point to play this title, but you can recruit characters. Uh, you play as a silent guy, uh, that's pretty much going around the world map. And, um, you know, I don't know <laughs> too much about the title itself. I'll help you out there. I've actually played about 20 hours of this game on uh my playstation vita digital and it is a phenomenal game it has some of the most interesting takes on rpg battles that i've seen before uh and it is a hell of a good time it's got so much content like all those characters that you can recruit, it's not like you go out and recruit them. You have to do very specific things to get a lot of these characters. Yeah, so that that really honestly sounds like Sukadon 1, so that'll be pretty awesome, man. If it's the same concept, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, but in at least Sukadon 1, you go into different towns, there's different storylines associated with different characters, and then you can go ahead and, uh, and pick them up, put them in your technically in your army. Um, so I think you're a rebel army in the PS1, well, obviously PS1, but in Sukadon 1, you have this rebel army and you're battling uh, an evil kingdom uh, that's pretty much trying to terrorize and destroy everybody. And I want to say that they're uh, taken over by a witch. So if it's anything like Sukadon 1 in terms of the battle, um, the strategy involved, the armies going against one another, and the obvious amazing story, I'm going to be pretty stoked to play this game. And Ryan's giving me thumbs up over here, so I think we're good. So sorry I haven't played this game yet. It's been sitting on my shelf. That is kind of a testament to the fact that while I do have some pretty high-priced games in the collection, I don't get a chance to play them because there's just so many and there's so many I want to play, um, sadly enough. Uh, so Sukunen 2, current value that I had via price charting is $150 complete. Unfortunately, with my copy, um, I do have the manual. I do have the CD. I had to print a copy of the front and back. Now, it is a pretty high quality print. I went ahead and had it um, cut on the corners. So that way it's perforated and it looks legit. But unfortunately, it's not the original. Um, I'm still going to count it as complete because that took a long time to design that background myself and get it all appropriate in a high quality you know, image. So we're going to say 150 on that one. And uh, the way I acquired that game was through a friend uh, when I was going to college. He was offloading a bunch of games from his collection. And he just said, hey, man, I've got a copy of Sukunen 2. It has a manual. It's got the disc. It's normally going for like 100 bucks right now. I'll give it to you for 75 And I was like, you know what? I've wanted to play this game for quite a while. 
I've got the cash on hand. I'll go ahead and pick it up. So honestly, that's actually the highest price game out of my top five that I've like actually paid a legitimate amount of money for. Uh, next game on the list is Earthbound on the Super Nintendo. Ryan's fist pumping over here. Uh, I picked that game up at a pawn shop, actually. Um, and what's super funny about that story is I initially... At, and I mean, I can tell you this one in particular, all of these games, these high price games, there's always a story behind them. And I truly just, they were, they were so exciting when I picked them up, uh, when you know the value at least. So I go in his pawn shop um, out in Florida, actually. And I go on a shelf and I pick up a copy of, I think it was WWE 13 on the Wii, which at the time was actually going for like 60, 70 bucks. It was like $8. So I was like, yeah, I'll pick that up. So when I go to check out, there's this random dirty box behind the counter in the back corner. I'm like, well, what is that? So I look and I see a super Nintendo. I'm like, Oh, Hey man. Um, you know, I asked the clerk this there. I'm like, can I check out that box? And he's like, yeah. Um, you know, everything in here is for sale. It's all loose. Go ahead and, uh, you know, let me know what you want out of it. Now there were no price points on any of them. None of them had labels that just come in. Uh, I can tell you I picked up almost every single game and there's a reason why I didn't get all of them. There was a couple Super Mario titles in there. Earthbound was obviously in there. I want to say um, there was a platformer in there too, but it's not Thunder Spirits. Yeah, Thunder Spirits was in there. And some other title was in there as well. Um, so I'm going through and pretty much we'll get to the point here, but I ask him what he wants for all the games, okay? And you know at a pawn shop, they're generally going to go ahead and look up the price on eBay, look it up on Amazon, whatever it may be. He grabs a Mario game, sets them aside. He grabs Earthbound, Thunder Spirits, and whatever other title I grabbed at that point in time, obviously not a super high price title, and he puts them to another side. And I'm questioning what's about to go down here. He grabs Mario, he starts typing on his computer, and he looks at me and says, all right, 15 bucks. And oh, by the way, the other title is uh, Donkey Kong Country 2. Actually, now I remember. So those three titles are set aside. He grabs Mario, tells me 15 bucks. I'm like, oh, great. So he's going to look up Earthbound, and he's going to say, I think at the time it was like 185, 190 it was going for. So he grabs the other Mario, Mario All-Stars. He says, "Uh, this one's uh, 12 bucks. I'm like, all right. Then he goes ahead and he says, all right, do you want these? And I'm like, "Mm, I don't know, man. I'm like, what about those titles? He says, oh, these eight bucks a piece. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, yeah, you know, let me go ahead just to, you know, not have any suspicion about it. I said, let me go ahead and get uh, the Mario All-Stars at 12 bucks. I want to say it was like 25 at the time. And uh, let me grab these other titles. I, I already have, you know, Mario, Super Mario World is on the Mario All-Stars, so I'm not worried about it. He's like, yeah, no problem. So, of course, his computer crashes when I'm there. So I'm sitting awkwardly waiting for this guy to ring me up for what's close to a $200 copy of Earthbound at the time uh, for $8 with a line behind me of people getting angry. So I'm just like wanting to get the hell out of here. Uh, but overall, I ended up getting the game, went back to the shop I was working at, uh, was met by James, and we just tore this thing apart, cleaned it out, popped it in a Super Nintendo that we had on site, and it was... You know, after that, it was just great to be able to pick up that game. And uh, currently, that title is going for 155 bucks loose. So I would say as far as me paying $8 at a random pawn shop, it was totally worth it. Uh, next game to go into, and like I said, there's plenty of stories here. Kuon is my next game. Kuon is on the PlayStation 2. It's a survival horror game. Uh, the game is pretty much, uh, I haven't played this one actually, I've wanted to, um, just haven't found the, 
the time to play it. Uh, but it's a survival horror. It's actually developed by From Software, who uh, is you know obviously in charge of the uh, Dark Soul series. So I'm assuming that's why this game is at a higher price point, plus the limited amount of copies that were released over time. But it's a single player based game. Uh, you're pretty much uh, in a manner, and there's undead and spirits and everything else trying to attack you. Your standard horror game. Um, you know, if your uh, your health is lower, uh, from what I understand, um, you're going to be attracting a lot more enemies and such. You can meditate to restore your power. And uh, there's physical and magical base attacks that you can use against your enemies. So I don't know a whole, you know, I don't know a whole lot about this game. Haven't really played it at all. I mean, I've popped in to test it and make sure it's working. Um, because this game in particular, I did buy uh, when I was working at a game shop. And so when I was working at that game shop, the game was only going for, I want to say like 60 bucks complete. And uh, with my discount and everything, I, I got it for like 40 At the time, I was trying to complete my PlayStation 2 horror collection. So I do own, as far as I know, uh, every horror title on the PlayStation 2 console. Uh, Kuon right now is going for a grand total of 200 and oh, it's gone up $240 complete. And yes, I do have it complete. So that is technically number three on my list. Number two, in terms of high price games, and it gets even better, even better in the pawn shop story, I, I'm going to have to say, uh, is Saturn Bomberman. So Saturn Bomberman, uh, if you've played the Bomberman series, um, you know, it's Bomberman. You run around, you throw bombs, you're in a maze, uh, you're able to pick up different abilities to extend the range of your bombs, increase your speed, whole bunch of really cool stuff. It's actually one of my favorite series of games right next to Donkey Kong. Um, this version in particular was on the Sega Saturn, hence the name Saturn Bomberman. And as far as I recall, it actually allowed for, um, for a multiplayer of up to eight people, I want to say, on the Sega Saturn. Um, that's just an old thing that I've always uh, known about in the past. So yeah, it does have the multiplayer ability, story mode and such. Uh, my copy does work. Definitely happy it works. Um, yeah, we're looking at it now on Wiki. Uh, you've got the ability to use two multi-taps. And does it say how many players? As far as I know, yes. Game exceeds eight. So you can play with more than eight players on the Saturn. Uh, this game, I'll go into just really quick on the price point of this title. Uh, it is sitting currently at around 247 complete. It's actually higher than what it was when I initially picked it up. When I grabbed this title, I was 100% not looking at anything in regards to value for this game. I saw Bomberman. I was super excited because I love this series. Um, it was at a, a local thrift store where I was living at the time, and it's actually gone up like five bucks. So it's two fifty one actually now. Um, it was a local thrift store near where I was, and they just randomly that morning put out a bunch of Saturn games. And Ryan, hold your heart really quick, but I picked up this along with Space Jam and a whole bunch of other titles for $3 a piece. Actually, $2.99 a piece will give me that penny. So that right there might be the best value, but it's actually not because the next one up was even, even better of a value for me. Um, number one on my list is Rule of Rose on the PlayStation 2. And uh, actually, a lot of my higher price games are on the PS2 avid collector of a PlayStation 2 console. Um, 
just have pretty much loved the, it was one of my, obviously Super Nintendo is my first, but the PlayStation 2 is one of those, I got it, I think it was middle school at the time when it was released, just a ton of great games that were on the console growing up, Final Fantasy X, Eco, Shadow of Colossus, etc. list goes on. And uh, there was a lot of games that as I got older, I didn't know about. And Rule of Rose is one of those. And it was one of those games that I needed to complete my horror collection. And it was coincidentally the highest price game out of all the games I needed to get. And so this one in particular is currently sitting at uh, $290 complete. Uh, the game itself is also a survival horror. I have actually played this game. Uh, not fully, though. Uh I just haven't had my backwards compatible PS3 broke, so I just haven't had a chance to play it since. But um, this game in particular, you are on an airship and you are stuck with this group on board called, uh, I think it's the Red Aristocrats. And uh, pretty much it's just a basic survival horror game. It's really not that great of a game. It's got a lot of puzzles and such involved in it. It's set in England um, during the time period of about 1930. So you're pretty much in a Zeppelin the entire time. So airship is really Zeppelin is what I mean. And um, while you're in the ship, you're pretty much just trying to solve puzzles and figure out what the hell is going on. And, um, you know, you've got this group called the Red Aristocrats that's following you all around. This game was actually uh, developed by Atlas, which is pretty cool, which might be one of the reasons why it's such a high price point. Um, not entirely sure that, and also the fact that as far as I know, um, from a sales standpoint, at least according to VG charts, uh, this game is only sold around 20,000 copies worldwide. So I don't know if it's because, uh, you know, that in particular, um, because they just didn't make a whole lot of them and sales were low or, you know, I would assume that's probably the best bet. Ryan, I'm, I'm not sure if there's any other reason why this game would be worth anything because it really isn't that great of a game in the experience that I've had. Um, but the story behind this one, man, and this is another hold your heart moment, and I feel really bad about this one, actually. But it was at a local flea market for this one. And it was towards the end of the day, generally I would go on a weekly basis of flea market, see what I could pick up um, to increase the game collection, find new titles to play. And this guy had Rule of Rose, a couple Madden games, and like a Need for Speed. There was, I think, a GoldenEye actually was there too on the PlayStation 2. And um, he had them all there. And I asked him how much he wanted per game. And he said, I want to say it was like four bucks a pop is what he wanted. And I pretty much grabbed a stack of four and said, would you do this for $10? (laughs) And I included the rule of Rose and I still to this day feel so bad about it. Uh, but he said, yeah. So um, rule of Rose, I picked up for about two fifty, and I, I would say that that concludes my horrible life and how I've acquired some of my games that are such a high price point. Um, but happy to have at least shared that and um, give some people some insight into, into the fact that really no matter how high these games are priced at the end of the day, you can pick these games up anywhere for a, a dirt cheap price. I mean, they are around. Do not spend 20 bucks on a copy of Super Mario Bros. 3. Somebody has it sitting in their garage right now, but is willing to give it to you for 5 bucks, or a Goodwill might have it for $10. Whatever it may be, there's millions of copies of a lot of these games out there, and there's such a high price point, it's honestly not worth paying a premium price point if you know you can get it at a lower price somewhere nearby. Something like a Rule of Rose or a Kuan or a, a Sukuden, 
yes, I got great price points, but you know, they are just titles that, um, you know, it's just, they're out there. What was that, Ryan? They're all inflated. I can see what you're saying. Yeah. I can see what you're saying. Yeah, they are inflated. Don't, don't say that though. I want them to stay at that price point. So if I decide to sell at any point, um, so yeah, that's, that's where I am, man. Uh, any comments on my horrible life that I've lived? Uh, no, man, I'm looking at your, your game collection right now. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely know how tenacious you are as a collector and, uh, you know, these stories about knowing how you acquired all these games and, uh, you know, I only had one story to share and looking at your wall, you've got a few hundred stories over here. So it's, it's always good to see, you know, like you said, some of these things aren't unobtainable things that you may want to play. You could definitely play. And I mean, earthbound Suikoden two. Uh, those are the only two that I've actually played that you have on your list. Those are both fantastic games, and I would urge anybody to play them, but I would not urge you to play them for $160. If you want to collect and be a collector, and the value is what you appreciate, that's fine. But you know these games are out there for people like me in a digital format, and that's kind of the cool thing about this is you know, me and John are very different. He's a collector. I'm trying to kind of get away from holding on to a bunch of physical stuff. So that's why I've been primarily talking about digital media. So I think it's it's an interesting dynamic we have between us. And this list really shows a lot of that in a cool way. Yeah, the interesting thing, man, uh, given what you said about like hundreds of stories, you could probably pick two games off my shelf right now. And I, I may be able to tell you a story behind those games. You want to you want to give that a shot right now? Just call out like I don't know, two random games, just pull them off the shelf and let's see if I if I've got my story. Okay, so Discworld. Uh, he pulled Discworld. It's a complete in box. I think it's complete in box, right? On the PlayStation 1, it's a long box copy of the game. It is. Uh, this was actually given to me by my best man at my wedding actually. Uh, it's a hilarious game. I want to say it's based off of the Monty Python team. I want to say wrote it. And um, I've played about through halfway through it, uh, but there's another game they made. I want to say it's uh, Dragons. I want to say something with Dragons uh, that is on the PlayStation 1 as well. And that's also a pretty fun game. Dude, you got to hurry up. I don't know how much more like BS I can do here. Uh, Treasure. Well, this one I know for sure because it's at my old work and I picked it up for $12. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, so I used to work at a game store, and um, yeah, 12 bucks is what I paid for Treasure, and that is on the Genesis, and it's an RPG. You might want to pick up one that doesn't have a price point, dude. Just <laughs> If it has a label on it, I'm definitely going to know where I picked it up from, 100%. Just grab one random game, man. I, I should know. This is a pretty good test. Sword of Mana. That one, my brother actually gave me uh back when we were and that's actually a game boy advanced sword of mana by the way uh that i want to say i got in early high school and my brother gave me that game um just because he finished beating it so it's complete in box copy on the game boy advance so yeah to ryan's point there's hundreds and hundreds of stories i'm just looking at titles right now that 
I just can reminisce about the time that I had picking those picking those games up. Um, well, dude, I think that's a pretty uh, long episode right now. We're at fifty two minutes, just about. Did we even have any idea what we want to do for our inflation deflation next week? It is a month of November. Um, I'm not sure what we'll do. We'll we'll look around John's hundreds of stories and see if we can't come up with something a little bit fitting for uh, you know the new season of giving. So, not trying to be racist, but uh, Wampum might be a title that we can play. It is a little Indian guy. And uh, it's on the NES, so that kind of falls in line. And it's actually, I want to say, like 30 bucks right now. So that might be a title that's uh, worth seeing if it's an inflation or deflation candidate. What are your thoughts on that? I have no idea what that is, but I'm more than willing to give it a shot. It was either that or Captain America, which I can't even confirm if I have on my shelf. So, all right, sounds good. We'll play Wampum next week. That's going to be our next inflation deflation segment. James will actually be here during the recording of that one. So uh, we're all going to play some wampum and we're going to see how it goes. So until next week, uh, remember everybody that uh, that's all folks. And uh, with that, this has been season two, episode five of the game deflators. I'm John and I'm Ryan.